Hey, this is Paul Doherty. I'm the pastor of Victory Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it reminds you that God is not finished with you yet, and your best days are right in front of you. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, we have been in our series, Anatomy of the Believer. We've been talking about all of our anatomy. Every part of our body affects where our life ends up. Our eyes our ears, the longer you look at something, the more your life moves in the direction of your eyesight. We talked about our mind, our heart, that when you think on something and feel a certain way, it affects whether you live your best days or your worst nightmare. (laughs) And uh, how every part of our body, that God connected science and the Bible to work together and to complement each other. So this weekend, we're talking about our feet. Ask the person next to you, what size are your feet? What size are your feet? I bet you didn't think you were gonna ask them that this morning. I'm a size 12, Ashley, you're a size? Seven and a half. Seven and a half. And uh, Daniel Henshaw's got some. size 13. What's your feet, six, a size six? Come on. <laughs> eight, eight, eight. I, always thought, I, I just thought it was funny. My best friend growing up, he's the same height as me, but he had a size six, or a size eight in his feet. Anyways, we're gonna move on. Um, I'm sorry, Daniel. I'm sorry. We wouldn't be here today without our feet. Our feet move us everywhere we go. Some facts about our feet. One quarter of our body's bones are in our feet. So one fourth of the bones in your body are all in your feet. We use our feet to stand. We use our feet to walk places. Uh, uh, There is 33 joints, 26 bones, 19 muscles, 107 ligaments, and 8,000 nerves in your feet, which means that Feet are often the most ticklish place in your body. How many have ticklish feet? Yeah, yeah, this is like, at our home, our kids love to try and tickle my feet, tickle her feet, tickle our toes. It's, it's one of those funny things. But you know, here's the, probably the most interesting fact about your feet. A person's foot, an average person's foot, walks 100,000 miles in their lifetime. 100,000 miles in your lifetime. Now, the Earth's circumference is 24,900 miles. So if there were no oceans, you could walk around the Earth more than four times, and that would be an average walking lifetime for your feet. Your feet get a lot of wear and tear. They get the most wear and tear out of any part of our body. So if, they're gonna, if the wear and tear is inevitable, I wanna make the most of my mileage. I wanna put our best foot forward, which is the name of our sermon today is our best foot forward. So if we're going to be earth travelers, we need to be wise in how we travel the earth. You know, our feet give us the option to either stay planted, to stay still. They give us the option to move backwards. They give us the option to move forward. The feet are the vehicles of our body. We value feet. You know, when things are wrong with our feet or wrong with our legs, what do we do? We get crutches or wheelchairs or prosthetic legs. We need feet to move. And so, but the thing about our feet is they're not just going to decide on their own. Our our thoughts determine our direction. The decisions we make, the desire, really, the desires in our heart determine the decisions we make and the decisions we make determine our direction. You know, we made actually a really bad decision with, you know, a few of those steps. 
we were desiring the other day a Ron's hamburger. And then we, we made the bad decision, decision to go into Ron's hamburger. That was our direction. And honestly, we've got to... We've got to get rid of the grease. We've got to get off the grease. I regret that decision. She means I need decision. to get off the grease. No, I do too. I do too. But the desires in our heart, the healthy and the unhealthy, you said it. I'm just, you're confirming your, anyways. Uh, are the desires in our heart determine the healthy and the unhealthy desires in our heart, determine the decisions that we make, and the decisions we make move, our feet allow the decisions we make to move forward. Right. And so our step, every step in our life, every step requires a decision. And yeah. we have a lot of, we make a lot of decisions each yeah. day. We make 35,000 decisions a day. The average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. I need a Tylenol or ibuprofen <laughs> just hearing that fact. 35,000. You keeping your eyes open right now is a decision. You looking at your phone is a decision. You staying awake, you notes. coming to church, you moving that hand just there, uh, you picking your nose. That was a decision. It was one of your 35,000. And so those decisions, those decisions, most of those decisions are led by our feet. Where we go, who we're with, who we get married to, who, who you stay married to, uh, who you're friends with, and all of those directions led by our feet, whether or not you, you like it or not, those are what decide whether we live our best days or our worst nightmare. Proverbs 4, verse 26 says this, mark out a straight path for your feet. One version says, pay attention to your feet. Pay attention to the direction of your feet. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. And then it says, don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Feet is mentioned in scripture hundreds of times. And every time it's mentioned, it regards your pace and your direction of your, of your life. Uh, mark out a straight path. How do we make wise decisions with where our feet take us? Oh, the places that you'll go. Where are you headed and who is speaking into your steps? You know, we make major decisions um, in our lifetime, not just the minor ones like where you're gonna eat, like Ron's hamburgers, or that one time you went to Cheesecake Factory and you had a meltdown because there was like 500 things on the menu. Meltdown <laughs> is extreme, but I was, uh, I was, I do remember the first time I went to Cheesecake Factory in Maryland. We didn't have one here. I was there for a summer. We didn't have one here. And I just like stood and looked outside at the menu. And I was just like, wow, I am getting anxiety right now. I have no idea what to choose. These are all the options. We don't have one of these in Tulsa. Will I ever eat at a Cheesecake Factory before? What meal will I get? There's small appetizers and real appetizers. What's the difference with the big and the small? There's so many, low cow, high cow. There's so many options on the Cheesecake Factory. It's overwhelming. And the reality is that we can be overwhelmed by the amount of decisions that we have to make, big or small. And all the options. How do we and all the options. So how do we take all those options going on, narrow those, and then really become better decision makers? Because here's the thing. We can be, we all got to make decisions. Yeah. But how well we make those decisions is our personal responsibility to be better decision makers. And there are some major decisions in our life. Define a major decision. A major decision, any decision that really affects your, highly impacts the direction and the pace of your life and those that are closest to you. They have high risk, they have high impact, they're really major decisions in our life. And here's the thing, when we're sharing this, it's not just on our heart. 
We're just spokesmen for Christ. We're just right. spokesmen for God. It is on God's heart. Yeah. I believe, we believe there are people in this room that are at intersections in their life. You're at crossroads. Or you'll and come you to need, a crossroads. Or you'll come to it and you need wisdom. You need direction on what to decide. You need a direction on where maybe you're in a place where you're feeling led to switch jobs. Maybe you're in the decision where you're choosing a career. Maybe there's a big purchase ahead of you. Maybe there's something even that's been stirring up in you to grow in your generosity, and it's going to be a big, major decision to finally, truly put your trust in God rather than man. Maybe you're in this, and you're dealing with some health issues, and your decision of, do I have the surgery, or do I not have the surgery? Right. Maybe choosing colleges, choosing having kids, having another kid. I'm game if you're game. You know that's, that's, that's not what we're talking about today. So, uh, I know a preacher that says a really good quote, Jesus to not name. make a permanent decision in a temporary storm. We are in a temporary <laughs> storm. We don't have to permanently decide we're done. Praise Anyways, God. is it normal that even moms say that? No, that's why it's God. So major decisions would be who you marry, um, when you move a relationship from the friend zone to the dating to the engaged zone to the marriage zone, uh, major decisions would be major financial moves for your business, for your family, uh, your house. It would be major like, location moves. Um, um, big things that affect you going back to school, knowing when it's time to quit something, um, knowing when it's time to start something. And so those, those decisions need checkpoints. We want to give you five checkpoints for the major decisions in your life and our life. And by the way, we are sharing something that we have personally modeled. This is one of those life messages where Ashley and I, um, there's not a lot of things that we are like 100% all in at, but this is one of those things where we, we, we care about these checkpoints personally on big decisions with our life. And we have found these checkpoints to be so helpful, so healthy for us, and to help us make not perfect decisions, but decisions that would at least bring God glory as we're moving forward. So. The first checkpoint, Ashley, is? Research of God's word. Research in God's word. That's the first, when you're at a major decision, what does God's word say about it? We are so quick to go with, we're gonna talk about checkpoints of phoning a friend and different things like that, but do you know what God says about it? Yeah. Knowing what you think about it does not mean you know what God says about it. Because we have to know, God, because a lot of times what I think about it, I got a lot of emotions. I recently heard, I love this, my emotions have been compromised. So my, I'm vulnerable to just thinking whatever I think, go based on what I, I feel. And a lot of times I think that's right. But what does God say about it? Yeah. In Psalms 119, 105, I'm going to do another translation, but it's the same one. That is, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Another translation is true shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. Truth shining light guides me in my choices. His word guides us in our choices and decisions. Yeah. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. Yeah. You know, in the body of Christ, we are all guilty of glorifying confusion more than we are the clarity in God's word. 
We get so wrapped up in the things, well, I don't know this. There's a decision coming out. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What do you know? Because the word of God is full of things that we can know. The word of God is full of direction and wisdom. When you're at a situation and there are things that you're, there's a temptation, just rely on your reasoning and your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, not, don't depend on your own understanding. That's direction when it comes to decision making. That there's going to time, there's going to become crossroads in our life where God is saying something, where we've gone through these checkpoints, and then our understanding is saying one thing, and we're like, well, I'm confused. What does Proverbs 3, 5 says? There is some clear direction right there. Every and how. This is yep. an interesting thing on that scripture. Yep. That the same guy who wrote Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6, Solomon, King Solomon, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on in your understanding. Ironically, he opted for his own understanding as time went on. Uh, the wisest man in the world was vulnerable to self-deception. And he opted for political wisdom, financial wisdom, instead of God's wisdom. He thought, well, I'll marry, I'll marry Pharaoh's daughter uh, to make an alliance with Egypt. I'll marry the king of Libya's daughter to make an alliance with Libya between Israel and Libya. And I'll marry Iraq and Iran, modern-day Turkey. Uh, uh, he started marrying all of these different kings' daughters, thinking this is the right decision so Israel has alliances. But what happened was those daughters... God said, don't marry a foreign woman out of Israel. As he married these women, he took in their gods, their idols. It started shifting Solomon's heart away from God so that by the end of his life, he's in this mess in Ecclesiastes and he doesn't even know who he is and he's lost, you know, he's worshiping multiple idols instead of worshiping the one true God. So how important is it not just to, to go where the money is, not just to make the best political decision, but to really hear from God's word, his revealed And what God's will. word says, because we are so guilty of going and checking with everybody else first. We know what everybody else, we know our opinion, and then we go to God's word, and then honestly, sometimes we get guilty of um, manipulating God's word to fit what we think we should do. Yeah. Rather than first allowing God and his truth to be that. And I got a question for you. What's truth in your life? Put that scripture back up. Right. The truth. No, the truth one. The truth. Not the truth one. A true shining light guides me in choices and decisions. What is truth? You have to decide that. We have to decide that in our life. What is truth? Because when we want to do what we want to do with major decisions, sometimes we replace truth and we're like, our emotions are a shining light guiding my choice. Mm. My wants, my happiness is the shining light that guides my choices and decisions. Who's the boss of your life? We have to decide beforehand because when we give our life to Christ, we have given up the right to decide what's best for us. Right. His truth of his word this is, is our, our shining our light and it guides us. What is truth in your life? Yeah. His word will lead us and guide us. It may not say the sp spell out the specifics of what you're looking for, but I guarantee you if you research God's word about finances, you research his word about health, you research his words about relationship, you research his word about pace, about time, about saying yes, about saying no, his word will guide you. It's a pathway. It's, it'll, it'll guide you to get on a pathway to put your best foot forward. It can answer questions of what, who, and when, and how.
And also the Bible is full of stories being told. Yeah. And if you read the stories, a lot of it will illuminate wisdom. As we're researching God's word, we will learn a lot from the stories told. You know, we learned from um, a mentor in our life. They gave this question in making a decision, a really practical one, is what story do you want to tell? There are so many times in my life that I have wondered what to do in a practical thing. Do I move forward? Do I quit? Do I stop here? Do I give this? Do I not do, you know, and I I fast forward in my mind and I'll think, okay, when it comes down to it, I'm telling the story of my life to whoever it is, to myself, to my kids, what story do I want to tell? That's good. Honestly, when I think that, it keeps me from quitting when I want to give up. It keeps me from, it keeps me forgiving when in the moment, the shining light guiding me makes me want, my, my emotions, the bitterness makes me want to hold on. But speeding forward and thinking about what story I want to tell about that relationship, mm. that friendship, causes me to choose to forgive. Yeah. When I think about when I have an opportunity to give into something, to give into God's vision, when there's an ask from the pulpit and there's mo- moments in my life and, you know, being at this church, being at other opportunities and somebody's in need, or some, and I think about, man, what story do I want to tell? Because one day I'm going to tell to myself or to other people this opportunity was before me. What story do I want to tell? Well, you know, I got greedy. I had bills to pay. Or, you know what? I actually, I had $50 to give. And sure, I could have used it for something else, but I gave it instead. What story do you want to tell? And so you'll, good. you'll, it, it'll be amazing what, uh, what steps in front of you get illuminated of clarity just by th- asking that question, what story do you want to tell? Yeah, and this isn't a message to bring condemnation on previously made decisions. This is a message to bring a heads up on future decisions you're making. And at any um, point, at any time, we can apply these. We can apply these apply things. The I can't change my past. And I'm not proud of all the things in my past. But I can change my future by making these checkpoints a must in my life before I make a major decision. Before Ash and I got married, you know, we had boundaries that were hard to keep during the dating season because we liked each other's anatomy. Come on, somebody. And, uh, and there was that, you know, there was that, come on, that's okay, that's that God's word. celebration of anatomy. Yeah, right? yeah. But, but, but there was that word of God on boundaries set that we felt like, you know, God's word was the absolute truth in our life, not our feelings, not our flesh, not our hormones, not what we wanted, but what, it, what was God saying in regards to that season in our life? Thinking of marriage, there's some people, I've talked to people of like, you know, I didn't do any of these checkpoints, you know, thinking about people who, you know, they weren't saved, they weren't following Christ and they got married. At that point, it doesn't mean you go get a divorce and then go apply checkpoints. At that point, you start applying the checkpoints where yeah. you're at. If you're a decision, you're like, wow, you know, I just made the decision. I just moved here. I just took this job and I didn't do any of these checkpoints. Does that now mean, wow, I need to quit this job? job and now mm. go do these checkpoints? No. no. You research on what God says in Proverbs 15. Some of it says, uh, keep a promise even if it hurts. Yeah. That's direction. <laughs> you know, there's direction no matter where you're at, no matter what led you here, there's direction where you are at. You can always right. apply and ask for God's wisdom any place, any moment, right where you're at. That's right. Number two, second checkpoint for us is counsel from spiritual authority that God has placed in your life. Counsel from spiritual authority. Now we know 
in, in our society that pastors, bishops, leaders, priests, that there has been abuse of power in positions and, and certain people have created a culture of control over people's lives. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go there. And so we are very cautious as pastors. We understand it is a high responsibility to be a steward shepherd of God's flock. He's the, he's the lead shepherd here, but we are, you know, we've been given Verse that responsibility. Verse 13 says we're held accountable, we're held accountable. to our flock, to uh, souls. Yeah, and so when someone comes and asks us, hey, what should I do, pastor, or what should we do, or what, what do you think, you know, uh, your mom and dad would say to this situation, or, or you guys as pastors, we wanna give wise counsel because we seek wise counsel from spiritual authority. Ash and I have a board that oversees us. Uh, my mom will always be my mom. Uh, even though I'm in the role of pastor, she continues to give me advice and counsel and wisdom. And then there's spiritual authority that we've invited in our life, like Larry Stockstill. I call him probably once a month. Chris Hodges, Lynette Lewis, and we, we ask these people, hey, are we making the right decision here? We're thinking about a major, we're not talking about where we go eat, we're talking about should we put our kids here? Should we move them from part-time to full-time? Should we make this major financial decision as a church? And maybe should there's we, a decision we don't really exactly know all the ele elements to be thinking about. We'll ask all the time, hey, there's a decision that we need to make. Tell me what I need to be thinking about right now. What, what you, you've gone before me, I value your position because if we believe all authority is placed there by God, we may not even know every single detail about that person, but because we honor God and we value and we believe that God put those people in that position, we need to value that position and value their vantage point. Yeah. Because they may see something that we, that we do not see. They may see something that we uh we, they've experienced things that we haven't experienced. Yeah, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Now, we're in a society that says, not my president, not my pastor, not my leaders, no one can tell me what I'm gonna do, no one has authority over my life, and the problem with that, when we say, my business is my business, it's not your business, your decisions become everybody's business. Your big decisions, they affect more than just you. The gun that you pull out, that affects more than just you. The decision you make with your family, it affects more than just you. The second you make a major decision, it's not just your business anymore. It becomes your in-laws business. It becomes your family members business. It becomes your kids, and, and it affects the people that are connected closely in your life. So 1 Peter 2 verse 13 says, hold up. Authority is not a bad thing. Just because you had a bad experience with authority figures in your past doesn't mean you resist the whole idea of spiritual authority because that's God's idea. A great book on this is Undercover by John Bevere. Being under spiritual authority doesn't mean that they control every single decision you make. It just means that you give them the, the, the permission, the, the, uh, uh, the open heart to give you counsel on a major decision. I wanna give a shout out to some pastors and group leaders and volunteer pastors in this service. If you serve in that capacity at Victory, would you stand up? All those that serve, volunteer or staff pastors or key group hub leaders, would you stand up? Woo! All over the room. Come on, stay standing. Ashley and I cannot meet with every single person here, but these are people that 
we feel like are great people to go and talk to and say, hey, I'm thinking about making a major decision here. What would you say, Ronnie? What would you say, Jim? How would you do this, AJ, Mark, Caleb, Jim, Sandra, Charmaine? How would you do this, Josh? How, what, what, what do you think is the right move here? And those people are here to help. They're not here to control. They're here, here to help. We are always praying. Thank you so much. Y'all could be seated. But we're always praying, Lord, give us wise counsel. Psalm 91 verse 2 says, he that dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide in the almighty. For, for, for this is God's will that we would be under God's covering in the safe zone. God doesn't want us moving outside of his will. So he gives us shepherds, people in our life that can just give some counsel on it, not control, but just give some counsel. The freedom we seek when we resist authority is the very thing we lose in our insubordination to authority. There is freedom in submission. There is bondage in rebellion. There is freedom when you seek wise counsel. When I was in my parents' house, they had rules. How many had had rules when you were in your parents' house? You remember those days? Yeah. And uh, when I was in their house, there was time I had to be home at a certain time. I couldn't drink certain drinks. I couldn't smoke. I couldn't do what I wanted. I couldn't watch any movie I wanted to watch. They had rules. When I turned 18, I was so excited to get out from under their rules, right? I was ready to get out of Pastor Darty's house and go do what I want to do. But quickly, as I got out, I realized how blessed I was under their covering. under the restrictions that they cared about the health of my destiny, the health of my spiritual journey. So we need people in our life that just say, hey, that's, that's probably not a smart move. When there's not spiritual counsel from outside people in your life, self deception is at an all time high. So we need to invite, Proverbs says, when there's many godly counselors in your life, you are sure to have victory. What's the third checkpoint, Ashley? I think it leads straight into what you were saying, which is feedback from godly friends and family. Everybody say, give me some feedback. Give me some feedback. Feedback. We got to get comfortable with feedback if we want to make wise decisions. If we want to make, as earth travelers, as you put it today, if we want to make the most of our mileage, we have to get comfortable with feedback. And a lot of times in my life, getting feedback, um, you know, it's, it's a... harder at times than than others, but specifically when I'm really emotionally tied into my idea, and I think it's right, it is really hard to submit it for feedback. It is equivalent to um, fingernails screeching across the chalkboard, watching somebody dismantle and dissect my idea of what I think is right. Because I think it's right. And we have to remind ourselves, you know what? I may not be right. I may not know everything. And we may think, I don't know everything. But if we really think that we don't know everything, then how often are we calling on lifelines? How often, if we really think and we value other people's voices and we really think that there's, a, that there's vantage points and angles out there that I may not know, if we really truly think that, then how much are we tapping into that potential, that idea? Do we have super high standards for somebody to give us feedback? You know, sometimes to make this a habit in our life, there might be, honestly, there is times where it's not even like we had long history with each other as friends, maybe just getting used to it, whether it's little decisions or big decisions. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? Mm. Or does somebody have to, or do we have a huge bucket of trust that somebody needs to fill before we even get feedback? 
Because here's the truth. There are times that we've been given feedback and it, they delivered it unhealthy. But then just because they delivered it unhealthy, we have the control to digest it healthily. So don't allow our past experiences determine our pursuit and our receptivity of feedback because it is valuable. You know, it's not just our idea. Like, this is God's idea. A lot of times we do not tap in to the potential of good God ideas because of an unhealthy perspective. And so I'm going to give you some heavenly perspective this morning found in Proverbs 15 about feedback. In the Passage Translation, it says, accepting constructive criticism opens your heart to the path of life. Mm, That's good. So if we want to go down the path of life, we have to be willing to accept constructive criticism. And I don't mean, like, I mean accepting it. I don't mean just, like, you know how people say, eat your vegetables, they're good for you. So I don't mean just, like, taking the piece of broccoli, taking the asparagus, putting it in your mouth and letting it sit there. And then spitting it out when nobody's watching. I mean actually swallowing the broccoli. I mean swallowing the constructive criticism. That's what God is saying. I'm going to taste it. I'm going to see what this advice actually feels like. But we're not able to do that if we come to people for feedback with closed hand of thinking, well, we know what's right. Right. Or we come already decided. Mm. I might wrestle some feathers here for a second, but I'm willing to do that. Ruffle. Um, All right, I ruffle. What I'm saying is in the body of Christ... We can be really tempted when we feel like we've heard from God or where there's a major decision, we can be really tempted to lay down the God card really fast. And I would challenge you to be slow to lay down the God card. And this is what I mean. What you mean by the God card is? I was about to tell you. Okay. uh, That this is what I mean. Sorry. Is that... A lot of times, we come to our spiritual counsel, we come get feedback, and we're like, this is the major's decision, Mm. this is what I believe God said, this is what he spoke to me, and this is what God said. I know what God said. What position did you just put the other person in? If I say anything contrary to what you think God said, I'm now saying you don't hear from God. So who's really hearing from God here? And you turn everyone into yes men. You turn everybody to, to, to yes men. And also, let me just tell you that if you feel like God said it and you have not applied, there are some other God cards at play. There are some other scriptures at play that we need to apply versus just hearing from God that he spoke to us. There's some other tests that it needs to go through. If you're saying, I, need, I heard from God on this major decision, let me tell you another God card. Because Proverbs says there's a winning strategy and multitude of counsel. So I'm not saying you didn't hear from God. I'm just saying, have you ran it by a multitude of counsel? Because that's the other God card. So when you come before your spiritual authority, you come and get feedback. It's very hard to practice this. But can you stay objective about your own opinions? That's very tough to do. That we don't own a corner on the street of what's every, everything's right. I know everything. We don't own the market on that. And to remind ourselves, okay, I don't, I don't know everything. And this may not, I feel like this is the right decision. 
But I'm not going to just be, I, these are things, things that happen. I'm not just going to just play the God card because I don't want to handicap somebody who actually could speak some real wisdom and value into my life. Mm. And the rest of that scripture says, refusing constructive criticism shows you have no interest in improving your life. So if we say that we want to improve our life, we're saying, man, I, yeah, I want to improve my life. How do you view constructive criticism? Because if, you really, if we really want to improve our life, then we'll accept constructive criticism. And to refuse it says, I know what's best all the time. I know the who, the what, the when, and the how. No matter how old I am, no matter how young you are, I, and you know what, I realize age brings experience and it brings wisdom, but we're not God. <laughs> no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how times you've walked the same scenery, you need wisdom. No matter how many times you clocked in and clocked out of that job, no matter how many times you've done this, done that, you can do it in your sleep. I'm telling you, how many times if you tell yourself, I do this in my sleep, I do this so much, I do it in my sleep, that is a pathway to pride. Because you start believing, man, I can just do it so easily. And you know what? It's a pathway to pride, and you lose freshness and fresh ideas into the same things that you've been doing yes. every day. So if we want to improve our life, we accept constructive criticism. Criticism For revelation insight only comes as you accept correction. Revelation insight only comes as you accept correction and the wisdom that it brings. Last scripture. The source of revelation knowledge is found as you fall down and surrender before the Lord. If we're really confused, how well are we surrendered right now? If we're caught in confusion, how well are we surrendered? Because revelation knowledge is found in surrender to what God's will already says. Don't expect to see Shekinah glory until the Lord sees your sincere humility. Practicing sincere humility, going before and asking people feedback, asking counsel is practicing humility. And make it a habit till it doesn't feel awkward anymore. That's good. At first it might feel awkward because you're not used to it. At first it might be asking for help. That's weak. I should be able to know. Man, expand your perspective and your vantage point of help because it is the source of life. Right. And your wrong perception could be choking out wisdom that God actually wants to bring forward. And that's what I said before, a lot of times we give so much glory to confusion. When there's so much pathway, there's so much wisdom in the word of God, that his word of God, it's, it's already said. And so you know what, going to counsel, this is what it's been in my life. It's like going to a microscope. When I go to counsel and I say, hey, this is what's on the table. This is what we're looking at. And I say, one, what do you, what do you hear? You know, maybe it's, uh, I got to have this really tough conversation. Can you, I won't name drop. I don't want to gossip, but I'm thinking, I got to have this really tough conversation. Can you help me? Is this legit or is this just insecurity stalking here? Like, is this, do I need to go have this conversation? Do I just need to let it go to God? Is this a wise thing? Do you hear fear? Do you hear faith? Do you hear wisdom or do you hear stupidity? Do you hear when it comes to us getting on the same page? Do you hear rebellion as a wife and a nagging wife? Or, or, or do you hear submission? What do you hear? And what it does, it's like a microscope. When you're talking to people, they help you zoom in and zoom out. 
And you got to talk to the right people. Talking to the right godly people, the right godly people that truly want the best for your life. But honestly, sometimes you don't know if that person is the right person or the wrong person until you do it. Sometimes it's trial and error. But sometimes we're so stuck on the error that we're not willing to try again. And so we zoom in and zoom out. And what that does, it is allows us to have a clearer picture. They start asking you questions. We'll ask this and we'll say, what questions? Even when I don't even know what question to be asking about a major decision I've ever made. I know you've made something like this. What question should I be asking right now? That's what I'll ask. Say, what questions should I be asking myself? And what it does is we become better decision makers, not just in the big and the small, but every day we're making the most of our mileage. That's so good. You know, I think as she's sharing that, on the other side of feedback, how many like to give feedback to people? Be honest. Oh, my goodness. There's way more opinions represented in this place. I can't wait till he asks me what he should do. I can't wait till she asks me if we should paint it that color or if we should have the volume that loud in here. Here's another I way can't to tell if you want to give, give feedback. feedback. I can't believe they didn't ask me. You want to give your feedback. Right. So on the other side of giving feedback, if you like to give feedback, I do, and she yes. does. She gives great feedback to me every week. I'm so blessed with good constructive criticism. He tells me, you don't have to share me every opinion. I was like, I don't. You didn't see the thousand other opinions that I did not say. Like, Praise the Lord. But on, on the other side of giving feedback, um, don't try to manipulate someone's life on what's best for you. Um, when my mom, after my father passed away, a, a year had gone by, and in my mind and my heart, I was like, people asked me this question, and I was like appalled that they asked me this question. They're like, so is your mom gonna get remarried? I was like, don't you dare ask that question. That is not best for me. And, um, and I had to really like let that go because there's nothing anti-biblical about the idea of her getting remarried. And I had to go to my mom and just say, hey mom, and she was like, Paul, I still wear the wedding ring. And by the way, she's been proposed to like 10 times in the last eight years and she's, she's kind of made up she's her mind. Not she's not accepting applications. There's no marysherry.com, Mary But Sherry. as a family com. member, I had to go to her and just say, I just want you to know whatever you want to do, do it. As family members, sometimes we're trying to control each other's really decisions good. on what's going to affect us. You better do this because that's what makes me happy. Makes it convenient for me. And, and even as church members, we got to be careful. We don't try to control and manipulate minor decisions. A, a major decision is like a doctrinal, theological, massive thing. But we got to be careful that we don't try to control and manipulate people. When we give feedback, we say, you know, this is honestly, you asked me for feedback, so I'm going to give it. But at the end of the day, Whatever you feel to do that's not against God's scripture, God's word, you know, do it. Because I don't want to stand in the way of trying to control every single decision in a person's life. Number four, fourth checkpoint here is time in prayer. Time in prayer. Bathe the decision in prayer. I say the word bathe because sometimes we say I spent time in prayer when you only spent like one day. On a major decision in your life, honestly, I spent a long time praying before I asked Ashley to marry me. I spent a long time really meditating and soaking in prayer, making sure that it was time. You can make the right decision at the wrong time. And, or, or, or when it was time for Ashley and I to make a big purchase, uh, our, our first home, I was like really praying because there was this uh, stress, anxiety that was trying to mess with me and are we ready for this? And, and, um, and so really bathing those big decisions in prayer. James 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask 
God who gives generously to all without reproaching or fault finding. In other words, God's not mad at you for asking him for wisdom. He will give it to you freely. God wants to give us wisdom on decisions. So when I pray, I'm saying, Lord, I need wisdom on this decision. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me, help me, help not my feelings to direct my feet. Help your word, your truth, your peace to direct my feet. Shod my feet with the gospel of peace. My steps are ordered by God in Jesus' name. Psalm 25 verse four says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. So when we pray, we're not praying for God to give us what we want. We're praying for God to give us what he wants. Amen. And so I'm not saying, Lord, I want you to be my yes man. I want you to be, you know, I want you to say yes to every opinion and idea and desire I want. I'm saying, Lord, I've gotten counsel. I've gotten feedback from family and friends. I've looked in your word and what I see from the story of Joseph and the story of David and the scriptures in Proverbs and Psalms and the gospels and 1 Corinthians. And now I'm at a, I'm at a decision point. And before I make this decision, sometimes we make bad decisions when we make them in haste and we rush gotta make the decision by next week. I've gotta decide by tonight. Who's forcing you to decide so fast? Who is deciding the pace of your decisions? Who's in control of your steps? Who have you given and delegated the title deed of your pace and direction of your life? And so we bring it back to God, Lord. What you said about that one scripture, I love what you said in, in James where it says, when, he, when you ask God for wisdom, he's not gonna look back and be like, why didn't he ask me before? I'll tell you, but. I'm gonna rub your nose in the, what's that saying? Dirt. Yeah, dirt, vomit, whatever. I'm gonna rub your nose in it, and then I'll tell you wisdom. I'm so thankful that, because how many of us, we've made, you know, the right, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. How many of us have made the right decision, but at the wrong time? Or how many of us just have made dumb decisions? We didn't know. We didn't do our fact check. We didn't gather knowledge. We, we didn't gather wisdom and understanding. Or sometimes we did do it. And man, we realized, wow, you know, that wasn't the right decision. At any moment, at any time, we can go to God and say, God, speak to this. Yeah. I did it before, but speak to this. When we make, I remember specifically, I'll, I'll let you have it, because people are here where we get so stuck. We talked about decision paralysis, yeah. how there's so many options, there's so many decisions that we don't move at all. Right. And this was, a, I've been a victim of this. Where like, I don't move at all, I'm so, and, and, and it wasn't even like, I was like, it was motivated by God, I wanna make the right decision. What's your will? That I didn't do anything. And then someone said, counsel, said, Ashley, God can't move a parked car. Yeah. Move. And trust, instead of trusting my, instead of putting all my trust in my ability to make a good decision and the right decision, I then began to put my trust in God's ability to redirect my decision, even if it wasn't the right decision. So I remember good. taking a job at 24-7, our youth group, the first job, when it was offered to me, I said no. That night, I knew I made the wrong decision. I stayed up the whole night. I could not, I was like, how early is it too early to call and tell, okay, 5, 5.30, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go get donuts. And then around 6.30, I'll give a call and we'll say, you know what, is that job still available? I made the wrong decision. 
We need to trust God that he's gonna give us peace when we make the wrong decision the right decision and even the wrong decision, he's gonna wrestle something and we're gonna be able to know, man, God, what's your wisdom? I feel like I missed it. Speak to where I've missed it. Yeah, so good. The last checkpoint here is tested on the altar. Tested on the altar. Just like God asked Abraham to bring Isaac to the altar. Isaac was Abraham's one and only son. Imagine if you only had one child and your biggest dream in life was to have a child, like that was your obsession, like it wasn't to make millions of dollars, it was just to have one baby. If I could just have one baby, it would solve all my problems. That was Abraham, he just wanted one baby. And he has this baby and then God says, okay, bring that biggest obsession, that greatest possession that you have, that greatest legacy dream desire, bring it to the altar. That's where Abraham was at. And it doesn't say Abraham delayed or threw a fit or got mad and said, I'm walking out on you, God. I can't stay here anymore. You're asking too much from me. It says Abraham immediately obeyed. Talk about surrender. If you want God to order your steps, you need to surrender your feet. If we want God to direct our lives, we need to surrender our feet. How long are we waiting to obey God and step towards what he's asked from us? So Abraham moves, he walks to the altar, Isaac says, we got the wood, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. Abraham surrendered with faith. He knew that on the other side of his surrender, God had a ram in the thicket. He just believed God was gonna provide. So they get up there and Abraham lifts up the knife and an angel stops him and says, no, Abraham, because you surrendered, because God knows that you are willing to lay down your son, your one and only son, now God will bless you and he will bless you with the greatest blessing. Your children's 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 children. On the other side of your altar surrender is the Abrahamic blessing. The blessing Amen. that God, the covenant God made Abraham is waiting for some of us to just say, okay, I'm gonna stop trying to own everything in my life and I'm going to put it on the altar. I want us to stand to our feet all over this room. Ash. I wanna tag along to one of the perspectives that helps us stay surrendered and keep it at the altar is to switch our mind to every opportunity that we've been given, everything we have, our kids, our money, our possessions, our dreams, that we switch our perspective from ownership to stewardship. From ownership to stewardship. Because what happens, we're in the valley of decision. If we wanna keep our best foot forward, we have to switch from ownership to stewardship because at any moment, God wants to take what's in our hand. We think it's good, we think it's awesome, but God wants to take what's in our hand and multiply it. But it's gonna require us giving it to him to multiply. It wasn't until the little kid gave his fish and his loaves that it was multiplied. And we're like, God, why are you taking what we have? It's enough, it's plenty, I love it. But in reality, God's saying, and we look at why are you taking but if we knew the reality of God's love, we knew that he was asking for it because he wants to multiply it. So what, what that does is moving from ownership to stewardship is it allows us to move at a pace that keeps us surrendered. Move at a pace in your life and that relationship and that job that keeps you surrendered. What I mean by that is a lot of times we like, God, you gave me this decision. I got the answer. Now I just want to grab it and run with it. 
And you need to own it with passion. You need to own it with enthusiasm. You need to be all, or you need to be all in with enthusiasm and passion with it. But we don't own it. Because what happens is we're like, okay, God, I need to know, where are you directing me? Yeah, get in the driver's seat, because I don't know where we're going. I'll stay in the passenger seat. But it's like the moment he gives direction, he's like, move out of here, Jesus. Here I come. And we just take the reins and we go instead of like, okay, that's good. But Lord, thank you for that. I'm going to let you still have the reins to this opportunity. I'm going to still let you have the reins to my pace of life. So choose, switch from ownership to stewardship, allowing you to stay at a pace of surrender. Because you've said it, that divine direction comes from divine surrender. And there comes a point where we've done all these checkpoints and there's a time where we've been praying about it. And now we just need the courage to step out and do it. Yeah. Because without faith, yeah. it is impossible to please God. If you knew all you need to know about your life, would there, put a, would there be a demand on your faith? Mm. No, there wouldn't. There came a point you brought up praying to marry your wife. There yeah. was a time. Mean. There was a time <laughs> where it was like, get out of the prayer closet no, and I ask remember. the girl to marry you. Yeah, Tom Newman came up to me and he goes, boom, hits the back of my head. He goes, you've been praying long enough. My dad did the same thing. He's like, sorry. You've been praying long enough. You got a green light. Stop dragging your feet on that decision. You're in decision paralysis. And then the second thing is money. I remember God told me to give my savings when I was 20 years old towards the building project here to finish the kids building. And I was like, that is not from God. That is the devil. I need to keep my money. I'm saving it. And God said, Paul, trust me in this. It was $7,000 for me. That was like all I had. That was my Isaac. That was like, I had been saving that up. And God was saying, if you'll trust me in this, I've got a blessing on the other side of your surrender. I remember my dad was up here and he was kept talking about the kids building. I don't have kids, I was single. And um, I just finally decided to pull the trigger and I gave $7,000 check, everything in my account. In less than a year, God doubled what I had been saving for 21 years. God doubled it in my bank account in one year. That's heaven right there, that's heaven's economy. I was able to then fund two people to go on a mission trip the next summer and have more than enough money to save for her wedding ring, our honeymoon, and the down payment on our first house. Come God on, provided. Y'all are like, that must have been a cheap ring. No, it was expensive. God added more to it. Let's close our eyes all over this place. No, I feel like there's people in here that you, you've heard from God and you've been discounting and discrediting what you've heard because the road just doesn't look easy. And the peace of God doesn't mean it's going to be easy. The peace of God means that it's surpassing all your understanding, that your mind is telling you it's a tough road, but the peace of God is surpassing that. And just because it's the right decision doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And I have a scripture we mentioned Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that, th that lead, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, submit your ways in all you do. The end of that scripture doesn't get said a whole lot, but it says, submit your ways in all you do, and it says, trust that you will smooth, He will smooth out every wrinkle in the road. He will smooth out every obstacle. 
So you may be not uh, making the right move because you see all the potential obstacles, but the word of the Lord is, is trust in Him with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Submit your ways in all you do, and He will smooth and He will remove every obstacle. As you step forward in faith, as you say yes to the courage and the grace of God, each step you take, He's going to remove every obstacle. And as you, your step might be shaky, but every step you take toward what God is asking you to do, it'll get firmer, it'll get more solidified, and there'll be more peace and more joy as you step into the things that you believe that God has called you to do. But don't write the right decision off just because it looks tough. There's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that's with you, removing every obstacle.